Genesis chapter 2. This morning's scripture portion is Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And this is the sixth sermon in a series we've started this fall on God's teaching about creation. Now, creation means the beautiful world that we live in. And I know this world isn't the way it should be. Some of you are sick or ill or have friends or family members who are unwell. That's not how God planned it. Some of you struggle with anxious fears and worries. Some of you lack work or the money that you need or are looking for a home or are struggling in a relationship. That's not the way the world is supposed to be. But in studying the way that the world God made, we're renewing our hope in Christ and our calling as a church to be part of bringing blessing to the world. That's why we're in this series and this morning we're looking specifically at the command of the Sabbath. And so my sermon's title this morning is Your Sabbath Rest. Your Sabbath Rest. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's holy word in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. This is his inerrant, infallible, and inspired word. Let's give our attention to it. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. How many of you like a holiday? holiday from school. The boss says you can take a holiday from work. You don't need to come in on Friday. Take, take a long weekend. Boy, none of us would turn our backs on that, especially if it's a paid holiday. A holiday for most of us means a change from the ordinary routine, a break from work, and a time to relax. But what most people don't realize is that God was the first one to think of holidays. Did you know that? Holidays were God's idea. When God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, he has arranged for us, for you and me, to have 52 holidays every year. Now that sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But the problem is that even though God has given us such a wonderful present in the Sabbath, the weekly holiday, as creatures... Even though we know better, even though we know he knows what's best for us, we don't follow his plan for living in his world. Instead of taking, celebrating, embracing, and obeying his divinely appointed holiday, Sunday, instead of this, we have insisted on our own ways. Listen to some of the ways that we do our own thing instead of God's. People are constantly connected to the internet via their phones, their watches, their tablets, their laptops, their earbuds, even and perhaps especially on Sunday. You can't go anywhere in our society without seeing a screen playing some show or sporting event or hearing it on the radio on any day of the week, especially on Sundays. Most people live a long way from friends, from family members, from workplaces, schools, and churches, all of which requires us to do exhausting amounts of travel, especially on Sundays. 
And most people couldn't conceive of taking one day in seven and not working or studying or vacationing or doing yard work in order to stop, rest, and delight in God's work of creation and redemption. But we have to admit, the problem isn't just with most people. The bigger problem is with our people. Bible-believing, sincere, evangelical, Christian people. Many of us have very, very low views of the Christian Sabbath. Too often, even mature Christian people no longer rest for one whole day in seven, 24 hours. Too often, that's the case. Too often, even mature Christian people will not spend a whole day in private and public worship. Too often... Mature Christians will not refrain from working on Sundays, but they can't resist checking email or making a phone call or working on some proposal or presentation. After all, Monday's coming quickly. Too often, many mature Christian people are more than willing to travel on Sundays, to read the paper on Sundays, to play in youth sports, or to encourage your children to play in youth sports, to compete in competitive adult sports, or patronize professional sports on Sundays. There are no Eric Liddells in our day and age. Too few encourage their children to honor the Sabbath. And even some mature Christian families won't even open the Bible together on Sundays, let alone catechize one another, talk about the sermon, and spend time in public and private meditation on God's grace in our lives. But I realize not everyone is a backsliding veteran when it comes to the Christian Sabbath. Some who are new to the faith or who didn't grow up in strong Christian homes have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you haven't even been taught the very basics about observing the Lord's Day. Did you know, for instance, that the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments? And it's right after taking God's name in vain and right before honoring your father and mother. It's one of the ten things that God saw as the most basic principles of human existence is to honor the Sabbath. Did you know that the Sabbath is not just an Old Testament requirement, but it's repeatedly affirmed in the New Testament, both by explicit teaching and the example of our Lord and the apostles, binding, therefore, on all people for all time, having been begun in creation, for humankind. Did you know that going to church is one of the most important ways of honoring the Sabbath? Which means, even if you occasionally skip church, you are breaking the Sabbath and breaking God's law. As I said a few minutes ago, a holiday is a special time where you take a break from your ordinary routine, especially work, and do something different. The word holiday is actually a compound word. It's It's made of two words, holy and day. Sunday, beloved, is God's holy day. And I'm burdened this morning because many of us do not treat God's day as he intends it to be treated as holy. I want you to know from this morning's sermon, know and believe and embrace what the Bible teaches about your Sabbath rest. I want you to hear from God, not just human opinion that your Sabbath rest, first, has a divine pattern. Second, it has a permanent purpose. And third, it has a twin character. So we're going to look at each of those three points 
from the scripture this morning. First of all, your Sabbath rest has a divine pattern. Notice in our text that it isn't talking about Adam. It's talking about God. Listen again. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and God rested from all the work that he had done. Our practice of resting from our work follows a divine pattern that begins in the person of God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, rested. And this is even more uh, vivid as you read in the last verse of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Think of this phrase, behold, it was very good. It's as if God is so thrilled, so excited, so enchanted with the beautiful pattern of day one and day two and day three, day four and day five and day six, and he says, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Behold, come take a look at this. Your, your Sabbath rest has its pattern in God as he's delighting in the, the full, finished, mature, perfect completion of all of his work. Church historian Bob Godfrey describes it this way. The sixth day ends with God's final evaluation of his creation, including man. And what does he find? He finds it very good and complete. The problems of Genesis 1-2 are solved. The deep darkness and chaos and the Spirit of God hovering over the unformed and empty world. That problem has been solved with the population in each day, with light and with the firmaments, the watery heavens above and below, and with the creatures on the earth filling the world and the seas and the skies. And God has furthermore, Godfrey says, created man as his image bearer to have fellowship with him and to rule in his place. The great work of creation is finished. God has shown himself, Calvin says, to be the craftsman, the architect, and the bountiful father of a household. And he has provided so wonderfully for everything that is needed in the perfection of his home and for the flourishing of his family. But as wonderful and as admiring as God's labor is, the creation story is not just about what God has done. It's an invitation for you to enter into this, this engagement with God, to join with God in marveling at his works, to sit alongside, as it were, your heavenly Father, to behold the very, very good things that God has done. You are to follow God's pattern of labor, and you are to follow his pattern of rest. So it's important then to see here that not just following God in his rest, the six days are just as important as the one day. The, the six days shalt thou labor is just as important as the one day shalt thou rest. Genesis not only gives you a pattern for rest, but also a pattern for work. Murray says the cycle of labor for six days is as irreversible as the cycle of rest. Work and rest are both gifts from God, 
Therefore, your work should be seen by you as a divine vocation and as preparation for your rest. One reason that God's rest was so sweet, one reason that that he was so satisfied at the end of the sixth day, as it were, he went to his evening and into his morning, into the seventh day. One reason was because he had finished his work. He had done a good job. And perhaps your difficulty with the, the Christian Sabbath is that you're not doing good work or you're not doing your work in the way that God wants you to. And so you can't, you won't, you, you don't find ways to, to draw to a close in some meaningful way the work of your six days so you can sit back like a craftsman, not only admiring God's work in the world, but God's work in your work, saying, wow, God has done good things through me this week. Praise God, it's time to rest. So God's pattern starts with labor or work, but then I also want you to see that the divine pattern ends with rest. God's work is followed by God's rest. The rest has four components. One is negative and three are positive. Look at our text. In Genesis 2.1 and 2.2, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, is the word there. And then in 2.2, on the seventh day, God finished his work. Now, both of those words speaks to something very positive. God completed something. He, if it was a, a, a Lego set, he finished all the directions. If it was a model car, he put all the pieces together. If it was a project, it's done. It's finished. It's complete. Think of this in positive terms as the plan of God has reached its mature and perfect fulfillment. What, what satisfaction than a job well done. That's positive. But then the, the next one is negative. In, in verse 2, it says, On the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. Now, rest has, has two meanings I'm going to show you in a minute, but the first meaning is that he stops. So he finishes, so he completes, he puts that last piece in place, and then he rests. He puts down the tools, he cleans the workbench, he hangs up his apron, and he goes to his rest. The word for rest, Shabbat, means literally to stop something. You can't rest if you don't stop. You need to finish so you can stop. And then thirdly, rest has a positive sense as well. Once we cease work, once we Shabbat, we stop our work, we could then rest, which I'm taking in a positive sense as well. I think our text suggests this in verse 2. So God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done, and he blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work. Once God ceases his work, he seems to move into a blessed rest, which I'm taking as a positive experience of the fruit of stopping something. It's one thing to stop your work, but it's another thing to rest, isn't it? You may not be working, but are you resting? Easier said than done. And then the fourth, not only does God finish, and then he stops. Third, he rests. And fourth, in the verse 3, when God blesses and sanctifies or sets apart as holy the seventh day, I believe we are to read this as God delighting 
in what he has done. I said this in verse 31, God saw all, behold, all that he has made, and behold, it was very good. Wow. He was relishing in it. He was delighting in it. And our rest, if we don't move to that phase of enjoyment and delight and satisfaction and contentment, then we're not experiencing and patterning ourselves, I believe, as God has rested. Lennox says that God regards his creation with enthusiasm and the joy of a skillful artist who is delighted in what he has done as he sees it formed and organized step by step. The completed work is set before him, thoroughly fit for the glorious purpose which he had designed from the beginning. That's delight. So finishing, stopping, resting, and delighting. This is the divine pattern and my first point. Second, you need to know that your Sabbath rest has a permanent purpose. There are two reasons or two aspects of its permanency. The first is in creation, and the second is in redemption. It's permanent first because it begins in creation, not the fall, and by fall I mean sin. You have to go to chapter 3 of Genesis to read about sin entering the world. But in chapter 2, we're still in the the honeymoon phase of humanity. Literally. Mankind has not experienced any frustration. There is no opposition in God's world to any good thing that he has made. And in this perfect world of paradise, God has embedded in his perfect world six days of labor for Adam, which we looked at a little bit last week, and then a pause for Adam's perfect work for a concentrated, focused enjoyment of the fruits of man's labors and God's. Creation has rest as part of the perfect plan of God. The Sabbath is not merely a Jewish ceremonial law. It is that. And aspects of the ceremonial law, its rigidity and its multiplying of Sabbaths, weeks and months and years and and being technical and rigid, that part, I believe, has passed away. But the Sabbath is a human, designed, ordained command that predates sin and will exist forever. Even marriage will pass in heaven, but the Sabbath will not. In support of this, in no uncertain terms, Jesus affirms the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2, 27 and 28. In this passage, Mark writes, He, Jesus, said to the Pharisees, he was debating the religious leaders about the Sabbath. This is what he says. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I was perplexed by this for many years because I, I have to go slowly on some of these complicated sayings. Sabbath was made for And then it occurred to me, it's a gift. The Sabbath is a gift. That's what Jesus is saying. The world is a gift. Creation is a gift. God is a gift. And the Sabbath rest is a gift. It's a gift of God to man. The point is not for you to fit into some narrow 
Byzantine, labyrinthine maze of Sabbath rules and regulations is to receive the best and greatest gift that God can give. It's the first gift he gave, which is the gift, having made man in his image, to give the gift of the Sabbath. You need to realize that if Adam had continued in his condition of holiness, if he had not eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there would have continued in Adam's work a cycle of six days of labor and one day of rest unto eternity forever and ever. Amen. John Murray says, Unfallen man would have needed to suspend his weekly labors in order to refresh himself with the exercises of the Sabbath. But it's not only permanent because it's in creation, it's permanent because it portrays redemption. The Sabbath portrays redemption, that is to say salvation from sin, today and will continue to portray redemption until eternity. In my opening comments, I described how busy and restless our society is, and sadly, this includes many of us professing Christians, even some very mature believers. I'm reminded of St. Augustine's statement from his confessions, his famous book of confessions. He says, Lord, our souls are restless until we find our rest in thee. Do you feel that this morning? As you look within your heart, can you sense the restlessness, the heart cry of being found at peace and at rest from your sin, from your troubles, from the hardships, from your own anxious thoughts? You need to realize that this restlessness is a sign from God that your sin is killing you, that this world is, is your bondmaster. You're a slave to this world, and apart from redemption, you will never have the rest that your heart is yearning for. Because of sin, your restlessness is like a billboard that cries out, Turn to Christ! Look to the Lord and trust in Him. By yourself, you fight a losing battle against this restlessness. Meditation techniques won't do it. Incense won't cut it. Taking vacation won't help. No matter where you go, there you are, and there is your restlessness. Unlike us, though, Jesus, the captain of our salvation, is the firstborn of a new creation. He is the conquering and victorious second Adam who has gone forth where the first Adam went and succeeded where he failed. He fights against sin and wins. His victory is one which enables him, which ushers him into a Sabbath rest. And this is a rest which by his Holy Spirit he shares with you by faith in his name. An important passage on this, which you can study later today if you'd like, is Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Here's a small portion, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. I'm adding a little bit to this passage, but now in Christ, your great high priest, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What this passage, this small text tells us, and in the wider context as well, 
God, in completing the work of creation, has entered his rest. And Hebrews challenges you as God's people to enter that rest. But to do so, you must strive to enter the rest which God has already achieved. But you cannot do that apart from Christ. There is no rest, Hebrews tells us, apart from being united by faith to the Lord. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. He hung on the cross and he shed his blood for your sins. He, he wiped away at that seat of atonement. He wiped away the, the, the indictment against you. And then he, he was in the grave for three days and three days and underwent the power of death. And then on the third day, he rises from the dead, breaking the power of sin in your life. And then Hebrews says he passes through the heavens as our great high priest and he is seated on a throne of grace where you may come, as Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest that Adam lost in his fall was regained by our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why your Sabbath rest and redemption is permanent. What Jesus gives, he will not take back. His blood, having once been shed for the remission of sins, permanently speaks a word of blessing and grace to all who believe. And it gives you even now a foretaste of your heavenly rest, though we are still walking in the midst of a restless world. So Paul in Romans 4 and 4 and 5 says this, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, I will insert but rests in Christ, believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 4, 4 and 5. So we've been seeing this morning that your Sabbath rest has a divine pattern. We've seen that your Sabbath rest has a permanent purpose, both in creation and redemption. Finally, I want to explore with you this idea that your Sabbath rest has a twin character. It has kind of a double aspect. What I mean by this is keeping the Christian Sabbath, and I know this from experience, mostly failed experience, speaking personally, but I do know this. It, it tends to be like walking a tightrope or two sides of a coin or trying to keep two things in your mind, two phone numbers in your mind at the same time. And the minute you're focusing on the good and healthy and godly aspect of, say, the one side, the head side of the coin, you've altogether forgotten the tail side of the coin. And, and it requires tremendous spiritual commitment to grow in Sabbath grace and godliness. Consider these dualities or these polarities, these twin characters. First, Sabbath keeping is both negative and positive. I've already said this. God ceased, he stopped. But then he started, he embraced, he rested, he delighted. Negative because you have to negatively avoid certain things. You've got to stop doing something. No, you've got to say no to something. No to the email. No to the text. No to the phone call. No to the, to the run to the store. Whatever it may be. But then you need to say yes also. It isn't just inactivity. We're not called to stop working. We're just called to stop a certain kind of working. You know, the word liturgy, which is what we do in our worship service, literally means the work of the people. So you stop your secular six-day work, whatever that may be, 
so that you can engage in other holy, sacred, special work, liturgy, liturgos, the work of the people in worship, both public and private. Sabbath keeping, another twin character, another polarity is Sabbath keeping is both physical and spiritual. Our bodies need a rest. The, the doctors tell us that the human body is uniquely designed and they can't figure out how this works, but I have an idea myself that to work for more than six days in a row, the body starts to break down. Like physicians have told us this. They're smart. So why is that? It's because we're built this way, like it's, it's in your bones. You know, there have been societies, godless societies, communist societies, and in uh, revolutionary France, they, they changed the work week from a six plus one work week, which we have in our country, to like a 10-day work week or an eight-day work week. And, and it, it doesn't last, it doesn't work. Pe- people don't go for it because everything in their... Their very selves rebel against a 10-day work week. I will add that a five-day work week isn't necessarily biblical either, but I don't want to be too controversial this morning. So it is physical, but it's also spiritual. It's a spiritual matter too. Keeping the Sabbath means remembering, I am not God. I am not the Creator. I didn't make this place. I I walked in like a king to a courtroom filled with jewels. Donald Gray Barnhouse explains it this way, the poor struggling soul who is ever seeking to do, 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 do something for salvation has no peace at all. But those who labor to enter his rest find the peace which passes understanding. It's spiritual as well as physical. And third, and this is hard, Sabbath keeping, in my experience, requires both structure and spontaneity. Both structure and spontaneity. You cannot enjoy the presence of God if you're always looking at your watch. You've got to put it down. And of course, watch these days as I like hit the button on your phone. What time is it? Got to reach my What's the weather outside? Spontaneous. I don't know what time it is. It's Sunday. What shall we do? How shall we delight in God, in God's creation, in one another, in our work, in the completion of our work? What stories can we tell? What places can we go? How can we encourage one another in the rest, the satisfaction the finishing, the completion. What do you want to do? What's the Spirit telling you? Where is the Lord leading you? What do you think you need in this moment? These these holy moments which proceed without the movement of the clock hand, but based on who we're with, and if, as it were, while there's light in the sky. On the other hand, You need structure. You need liturgy. We come with an order of worship. Now ours is printed. Some churches don't write out their order of worship, but everybody's got one. Everybody knows what to do. And without that structure, it's like, well, who's preaching today? And even in the Mennonite traditions, there's 
a couple of guys that tend to be the preachers. I mean, come on. So it takes order, it takes planning, and we have been given a beautiful way to order our worship in just recent months as God has provided us with a beautiful church sanctuary, hasn't he? How, how helpful it is to have tall ceilings and our own space and place, a place on the block, a place in the neighborhood, a place where we can order our, begin to order our lives together, and there's a plan, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Don't be late. It takes order. It takes the order of the word, sacraments, and prayer. You know what to expect in this church. We follow the regulative principles, so the Bible orders our worship. You won't see me talking about anything that's not in this book, and you won't hear us or see us doing anything on this platform that isn't explicitly required by this book. It's ordered. Scripture calls us to worship in a manner that's decent and orderly, Paul says. It's speaking specifically with the crazy use of tongues in Corinth in the ancient world, but I think it applies to a lot of things. We need order. But personally, you need order as well. Without a plan, without order, if you don't plan to go to bed at a certain time on Saturday night, if you don't plan to get up at a certain time, if, if you haven't made a commitment to a church, if, if there isn't anyone who's expecting to see you in a, in a fellowship, in a congregation, you, you will not keep the Sabbath. And I, I challenge you with this. I dare you to remain a Christian. It won't happen. In her excellent book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Marva Dawn writes this. We need something which people sometimes call the spiritual disciplines because while there is a danger of legalism, disciplines can keep us objectively aware of the presence of God and we don't feel close to God. Isn't that beautiful? I am an emotional person. I need the disciplines because my emotions will take me downtown quicker than you know. But by the discipline of reading the scriptures, of prayer, of going certain places and doing certain, I call it hitting, hitting repeat on the good habits. You know what I mean, guys? Repeat. That's, there's some habits that I should not hit repeat on that one. This one, repeat, repeat, repeat. I need those. I started my sermon this morning with a number of ways that Sabbath keeping is on the decline in our society and I think in the church today. In spite of the fact that few of us would turn down an offer of a holiday by an employer, many of us, I would say it's probably true of most of us, don't treat God's holy day with the same enthusiasm. I want to end with an illustration from the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, the Dutch have structures because they live in a very low area that's below the sea level. They have structures called dikes, which are like dams that hold back water. And stalwart Christians in Holland refer to the Sabbath as God's dike, God's dam. What this means is that just like the dikes in the Netherlands hold back the threatening seas and preserves the Hollanders from watery destruction, so also the Lord's Day holds back the raging waves of society's materialism 
your own individualism and consumerism and all manner of idolatry, all of which threatens to engulf not only individual Christians, but whole churches and even denominations. Well, how can we respond to this morning's passage? A couple of suggested actions as we leave this morning. By far, I believe the most important thing you can do to apply this morning's message is to receive the spiritual rest that Jesus Christ offers to all who would come to him. I mentioned this great invitation earlier, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. This is the absolute starting point for all human beings when it comes to the Sabbath. You need the rest which in your sin you have forfeited and which in Christ you may begin to experience, perhaps for some of you, for the first time ever in your entire life. The good news of the gospel is that your warfare is over, your sin is pardoned, and as we saw earlier in the service, you have peace with God, peace with your fellow men. He is sovereignly and lovingly taking care of every single thing you need in this brief and momentary existence we call human life. He has it all under control. Isaiah the prophet describes what attitude you should have in repentance and rest, he says, is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. That's Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. But you know what he says next? But you would not. God offers this rest, and Isaiah says, but you would have nothing to do with it. Don't do that this morning. The best, the most important, the first application this morning is to take the rest that God is offering to you. But secondly, I think many of you need to declutter your Sundays, and I include myself in this. This isn't going to be as easy as you think. Eugene Peterson describes the Sabbath in this way. It is, quote, the uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities, distance ourselves enough to see what God is up to in our lives. You need some distance. And while the Sabbath doesn't take you places per se, it gives you a spiritual distance in time. It gives you time to think, to reflect, to pray, to rest, to stop, to rest, and to delight. So, turn off your phones. I wonder if you could do that for 24 hours. Well, now, if you're a physician and you're on call, I get it. But not all of you are physicians. Turn it off. Airplane mode works great. Turn off the other screens in your house. Our culture's obsession with audio and visual media, I believe, makes true physical and spiritual rest extremely difficult. And I include music with this. I, I love music with the rest of them. But why are we always listening to something? Are we afraid to hear what's here? Or what God wants to speak to us in our hearts? And I know music can be part of rest, so, so take that in your own, with your own good judgment.
consider making an effort to stop your work on Sunday. Make a concerted effort, build a dike, build a dam, to keep the water of your work out of Sunday for 24 hours. If you can't, then start with from eight, at least 8 to noon and, and work to improve your experience of ceasing, finishing, resting, and delighting. If you're currently employed by someone who makes you work on Sunday, ask for a different schedule. Tell them your pastor made you say it. And if they say, no, it's impossible or you'll be fired, then pray about it. Pray about it. I think many of us, whether married or single, getting off of some specific suggestions, and these are specific suggestions, um, and I emphasize they're specific and they're suggestions. Each one of you really has to decide what Sabbath keeping looks like for your for yourself, and we have a variety of practices, by the way, on this in terms of some of your church leaders eat out on Sundays and some don't. So we're, we're not going to be getting into kind of comparing each other's Sabbaths, and I'm a really good Sabbath keeper and, and you're not. That's not the point of this morning's message. But I want to say, thirdly, I think many of us, whether married or single, whether we have kids or we don't, need to do a better job of preparing for Sunday, preparing for Sunday. One author suggests, and we talked about this as a family this week, my family, think of your week in two halves. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you're concentrating on squeezing the juice out of the orange that is Sunday. Getting as much out of the Lord's Day as you can on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. If you take notes, maybe reviewing the notes of the sermon on Sunday. I'm not saying that because it's, I'm your preacher. It's because Christ is speaking to you, and we need to hear this. Consider taking the blessing of the Lord's Day, the rest, the, the good, the delight that you got from today, and, and seeing if you can stretch it out all the way till Wednesday. And then beginning Thursday, this author suggests, beginning on Thursday, begin to prepare in your mind for next Sunday. Start making the kinds of preparations that you need in order to enter into this space, this sacred place, this sanctuary, rested, delighting, having put aside your earthly cares and worldly concerns. Try to make Sunday special for yourself and for your family, not a burden. And by the way, there are people who work on Sundays in this building. I'm one of them. So we have a special and unique challenge for resting on Sunday. Some of us take a different Sabbath. But if you're not actively as a member or regular attender of this church, if you're not actively supporting the Sunday service in some specific way, that work is being concentrated on just a few people's shoulders. And I'd like to see that spread out across the whole church. Because part of what we do is, as the Amish say, many hands make light work. In conclusion, if God has given you a permanent holiday and if he says it is for your good and that your delight in him and in it every week, don't you think that it would be the height of foolishness to turn your back on this incredible gift? In this regard, I want to end by challenging you. The Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is a day with consequences. 
There are blessings. The consequent is good here. Blessings for you who keep the Lord's day. He blessed it, he sanctified it, and he promises to bless you who do the same. But likewise, I believe there is discipline and judgment and loss of privilege and loss of clarity and loss even of assurance and fellowship with God, ultimate spiritual harm that awaits those who reject the Lord's day. Let's pursue the Sabbath. Let's pursue his blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow in prayer and conclude this morning's study in your word, I pray that what has been said will have been from you. And these aren't easy topics to tackle. They touch on some some deep issues, certainly in my life. And I stand before you, God, as a, as a preacher, but also as, as a son and a child of God, as someone who, whose anxiety and worry and fear is at times paralyzing and crippling. I am not resting as I should. And my brothers and sisters, many of them can agree with me and share this, this testimony of confession Thank you that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Thank you that by participating in worship this morning, we can expect and in fact, indeed, are receiving your blessing. Help us to improve and to grow. May we strive, as Hebrews says, strive to enter this rest. Ironically, may we figure out the spiritual rhythm of of working hard to rest knowing what this rest should look like in each of our own personal circumstances with each of our own personal vocations family situations and backgrounds above all lord i pray that this would be a restful and peaceful church the people of this fellowship would be characterized by the fruit of the holy spirit one of which is peace and rest and the good news that jesus loves us Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.